Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of changing your paradigm of the modern equine oral exam with Drs. Jack Easley and William Bow Rainbow. We are fortunate today that we have a bonus webinar to go along with the podcast. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Easley DVM MS ABVP and ADDC and Equine owns Equine Veterinary Practice LLC in Shelbyville, Kentucky, and Eastley Equine Dentistry is a specialty practice within the larger group. Dr. Rainbow is a lifelong horseman who grew up in Ocala, Florida on a commercial thoroughbred farm. He graduated from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. After veterinary school, he completed an internship at Haggard Equine Medical Institute and worked in Western Australia and Katy, Texas before returning to Versailles, Kentucky. He started Lexington Equine Dentistry LLC and is doing a dentistry residency with Dr. Easley at Equine Veterinary Practice. We are very fortunate today to welcome Dr. Easley and Dr. Rainbow, and they are going to present a webinar to go along with the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, you can go to equamanagement.com and go to this episode of the Disease Du Jour podcast, and you can watch the webinar on the website. So we thank you very much, Dr. Easley and Rainbow, and I'm going to turn it over to you now. Thanks, Kim. Thank you, Kim. I just wanted to uh, introduce this topic of, of the changing paradigm of modern equine oral examination because it really has changed dramatically in the last, especially the last 10 years, but even the last 20 years in the way that we examine horses' mouths and the uh, spectrum of diseases that we're presently able to diagnose in horses from an oral exam. It's much different than it was just 20 years ago. So to start off, this is Dr. Rainbow here. The examination forms the foundation of all dental practice. And that really, whether you're doing sport horse medicine or uh, reproduction medicine, it's always about the exam. And I think dentistry has been a little overlooked for times because people have gotten very used to, to floating teeth. But when we actually slow down and take the time to be able to perform and document a complete dental exam, uh, we discover so much more about the pathology of teeth and are really able to improve the quality um, uh, of these horses' lives and their oral health. So Dr. Lundstrom uh, had a great quote. He said that observation of the soft tissues tells you the daily news, while observation of the dental hard tissue tells you the history. And so a lot of times when we look in these horses, it's, it's unfair to say, has this horse been floated in uh, weeks, months, or years? But to be able to look back, you kind of have an idea of where has this mouth been? How long has this pathology taken to develop? Uh, and, and how quickly will we be able to maybe improve the, the dental disease uh, and, and make a difference in this animal's quality of life and its oral health. Um, some of these things take months to develop. Some of these dental diseases take years to really manifest to the point where unless you look inside the animal's mouth, you may not know that it has any dental disease at all. Um, and four years later, five years later, an abscess starts breaking out of a head or it's got a little bit of swelling uh, or something going on or it's chewing funny. And it's a disease that's been going on for a long time. Likewise, you can sometimes see periodontal disease that's popped up uh, over the course of months um, as, a, as a result of a change in a horse's mouth. 
one of the things that people sort of traditionally look at when they come to a horse's oral health is they think, well, if the horse is losing weight, you know, may, maybe it could be the maybe it could be its teeth. But there's a lot of things that people look at, whether it's got Cushing's disease, it's neurologic, it's parasitic um, going on. But a study in France showed that actually 20% of horses that are truly losing, uh, suffering from chronic weight loss, they actually have a dental disease. And at that point where horses losing weight because of dental disease, the dental disease has become quite severe in order to cause that much. Just like we, um, it takes quite a bit of dental disease to cause a horse to lose weight. So uh, when that becomes the sole, sole purpose, it's, it's really gotten really severe at, at that point in time. And it's really important, I think, too, that uh, if ever you look at a horse that has a chronic weight loss problem, and they also have dental disease, and that's especially important with older horses. You also have to look at all of the other body systems and do a complete examination on the horse, because just because they have dental disease doesn't mean that the dental disease is causing the weight loss. It could be a contributing factor, but they can also have some other underlying disease, uh, uh, neoplasm, uh, hepatic disease, or renal disease. And any of those things uh, can also be a contributing factor. And so you need to do a complete workup on the horse and a complete examination on top of your oral exam. So there have been a series of studies now over the last 20 years that have begun to sort of root out the uh, commonality, I guess, of dental disease. Um, one study in 2012 showed that 50% of horses having a routine dental exam were found to have cheek teeth diastomata with periodontal disease associated with 40% of those diastomata. So uh, another study began to show that 800 donkeys, they did a study in 2014, and 20% of them had diastomata. And part of the keys for these studies was that they, they did really good oral exams, and then they immediately charted those horses and those equids as they were examining them. So you didn't have a chance to forget what you looked at. Um, you had hopefully mirrors and lights and you could do a proper exam in a controlled environment um, and you began to, people began to diagnose things more. And it's not that these diseases were becoming more prevalent, it's just that they were getting diagnosed uh, more regularly through education. So I think practitioners and horse owners can, that have a lot of horse experience begin to ask themselves, what percent of horses do they have that have something as simple as diastomata? If they're not thinking that 50% of their horses at some point have had a diastomata, then maybe they need to be looking uh, into the, the, the in-depthness or I guess the quality of their oral exam. Uh, or maybe they just have excellent oral health, but you, you need, do need to be making sure that you're looking. If you never look, you won't diagnose. So that's, uh, that's an important key, and, I guess. And also the thing that you need to keep in mind is that every age group of horses that you look at is going to have different types of disease and they're also going to have uh, as horses get older they have accumulation of dental disease that's taken place throughout their life so the severity as well as the uh, number of dental problems that you're going to see usually accumulate so in the older horse you're going to have a higher incidence of all types of dental disease than you're going to usually have in younger horses. So when we uh, 
essentially come into a farm and we're looking at animals uh, for dental disease, we have to go through similar to any other sort of exam, a segment. We try to get a good history of uh, previous medical problems. It's important for us to understand what the horse's use is. Um, where is it in training? What type of bit is it using? Has it been changing bits recently? Does the horse have any vices such as cribbing? Um, and also understanding what's really important is, is the sort of housing, feeding, and pasture situation. Uh, horses that are stabled 24 hours a day, essentially, and being fed, uh, fed haze or pelleted haze and things like that, or whether they're on a, a haylage or on a uh, just a senior feed with a sort of a soup situation. Those are much different and are going to develop different uh, pathology than a horse that is on uh, good quality pasture grasses um, 24 hours a day. So, and, and they'll need to be managed slightly differently as well. So it's important if you, if you understand uh, the situation the horse is coming from and where it's needing to go, it can help you better formulate a, a treatment plan as well. So these are all things to have a good history on and an understanding before you really start working on the animal. Components of a good dental exam, you know, you need to have extra oral findings. You need to be able to look at the whole horse, like Jack said earlier, and understand, uh, you know, what other diseases could this horse be undergoing or challenges in its life. And then you need to look extra orally at the head. Does it have any swellings? Does it have any bumps, drainages? Um, does it have one ear that's a little bit droopy or an eye that's a little bit weepy? Um, does it hold its tongue out outside of its mouth or to one side of its mouth? Um, you can also watch it eat grain or hay and see how it interacts with its food. Uh, things that we're going to also have to look at is its dental and skeletal occlusion. We're going to look at the soft tissues. We're going to look at the occlusal wear status. You know, has it been, uh, is it wearing its teeth appropriate for its age? We want to look at its periodontal status. Does it have a bunch of pockets? Um, is its gingiva receding? Um, we want to look at its endodontic status. Are pulp horns open? Are they closed? Uh, these are all things that we begin to kind of, part of the exam, we've got a really broad range of systems to look at here. Uh, so going forward, we've got, I mean, we've got everything from skin uh, to muscles, nerves, to the bone, to the oral soft tissues, to the teeth. And then we've also got sinuses and still blood and lymph running through these horses. So uh, there's quite a bit that all concentrates in the head uh, for our exam. So when we start looking at these things, it's good to know that we should be looking for them, but we have to ask ourselves, what are we looking for? We all kind of know what's, what's normal, but if we're gonna start diagnosing more dental disease, uh, we kind of have to know what we're looking for because some of these things can be really quite subtle. Um, alignment, you could have something, a malocclusions, if you've got parrot mouth, everybody picks those up, um, but you could have just a simple tooth that's out of alignment as well. Um, occlusion, we can look at uh, how the teeth are meeting up on one side versus the other. You might find horses that are chewing uh, only on one side of their mouth. Diastomata are gaps in between the teeth. Uh, for all the cheek teeth of a horse, they should be right in a row, uh, all touching and tight. You shouldn't be able to have feet in between them. If you start to find feet in between them, now you're gonna get diastomata. And we'll talk more about later what those can lead into. Uh, you can have teeth, uh, tooth enlargements, elongations, depending on wear abnormalities. Uh, 
These can go on to create ulcers, tooth fractures, uh, which leads to infection. We can also have open pulp horns. So there's a myriad of dental disease that uh, sort of we can see on an exam that should be diagnosed and recorded. Uh, even if it's not necessary to treat at that time, we should be aware of it and, and following it along and monitoring at the very least. What we've got here is an example. We're going to play a video if you're watching the webinar. Uh, and you're seeing a dental pick. We're using an intraoral scope. And you're seeing a dental pick placed into a pulp horn. Now what you're seeing is when this pulp horn, it's, it's black, but it's got a little bit of green in the middle. And what that is is that's feed in an open pulp horn. And sometimes it takes quite a bit of digging to truly discover that these pulp horns are open. Um, but as you, if you're watching the webinar right now, the pick is, is put into one that you might have thought was solid. And we're being able to beginning to pull food out of it. So it's impressive what you can actually find on these things if the horse can't tell us that it's painful. But if we look, we can find it and we can know that this is this teeth are becoming a problem. Now, not all dental disease necessitates treatment immediately, but to understand that it's there and to be able to follow its progression and to be able to make a well-timed treatment plan are something that any uh, veterinarian can do. Now, notice also on this too, there are five pulp horns present and two of them have defects in them that are uh, packed with feed. The rest of these uh, pulp horns, you can scrape along the edge of them uh, with your pick and they're not open. This tooth has all the pulp horns are closed. Now, let's see, I think there is a defect in that pulp horn, uh, but the other four are closed. But see the food coming up out of that uh, pulp horn? That should be uh, covered with uh, secondary and tertiary dentin, and there shouldn't be any defect to where you could get any food out of that pulp horn. So what are the tools for an important dental exam? I mean, it, most people have a light, um, they may have a speculum, um, but there's some things that if you, to do a, a really good dental exam, you need a really good light. You need a proper speculum that fits the horse's mouth. Um, you know, whether you have a scope or stocks or x-ray, those are things that moving forward, if you begin to do a lot of dental examinations, they will definitely aid in diagnosis. Um, but the basics of a dental exam can be done as simply as having a really good headlamp, really good scope, uh, or sorry, really good headlamp, really good speculum, and, and a mirror and picks. Those are the, the very much basics here. We move along, we're going to introduce you some other equipment that you can use as well. Uh, but the first part of the exam, which you need when you're looking at a horse or coming into a stall to be asked to examine an animal, is the external exam. So uh, this is watching the horse. Uh, how it interacts with grain uh, or feed. It's looking, it's, uh, does it have any swellings? As we said earlier, weepy eyes, droopy ears. Uh, is the tongue hanging out of the mouth? Um, there's pain scoring systems using the pain face and things like that. Um, you know, the vast majority of horses, thankfully, won't show any of those signs in our fairly routine dental exam uh, from an extra, external standpoint. But it's, if you don't look, you won't find it. Um, if you're looking at the webinar, on the right the, is a picture of a horse with, and you'll notice that on the right mandible of this horse, there's a 12 by 8 by 9 centimeter uh, mass. And it had been there, but the owner sort of, the only reason it really sort of jumped up, she knew about it, was that the bridle didn't fit any well, very well anymore. So it's, while it's been there and um, it was much smaller, 
Um, I don't think it just necessarily jumped up overnight, um, but if you're not really looking, you definitely won't find it. From your moving on from an external exam, it's time for us typically to sedate the animal. So we use a lot of xylazine and torbogesic and occasionally dormosidan um, for these horses because if you don't sedate them, uh, it is extraordinarily difficult uh, to be able to look into the back of a horse's mouth and do a complete thorough oral exam. So uh, I definitely recommend using, using sedation uh, when placing a speculum on a horse to do a, a complete exam. And also when you talk about restraining sedated horses, uh, a headstand or some sort of sling device to hold the head up is helpful. Um, these horses do need to be relaxed to the point to where uh, they're not constantly chewing and lulling their tongue and moving their head around while you're trying to do your exam. Uh, so you do need to have them uh, relatively uh, well sedated uh, and their head supported to where you can be in a comfortable position to do your oral exam. Uh, Bo and I are both over six foot tall, and so sometimes we'll sit on a stool in front of the horse uh, to do our exams uh, with the horse on a head stand, with the head on a head stand, rather than stand and do the exam. So after we've after we've sedated the animal uh, and they're beginning to get uh, reasonably drunk, what we'll like to do is rinse their mouths out really well. You definitely uh, it's it's a bit frustrating when you respect them on a horse and you discover that they've they've been grazing for the last twenty minutes out in the yard and uh, their mouths are full of grass because that's not good for your dental equipment when you start working on them uh, and it definitely inhibits your the quality of your dental exam so we kind of in order to keep the cart uh, the horse before the cart here you you've got to rinse them out really well we use a little bit of dilute chlorhexidine um, in one of these big half liter uh, syringes here and another tool that we keep that you see at the bottom is uh, essentially a, a water pick for these horses um, we'll use it for floating diasta or flushing out diastomas um, and sockets and things like that that have gotten packed with feed. Um, so you can put variable water pressure on them. Um, there are some commercially available systems, and then there's some sort of homemade systems that actually work just as well or better with horses. So um, we rinse their mouths out really well. And then what we find out next is it's time to start, put some gloves on and look at the incisors. Um, in the in the bars of the mouth before we put this speculum on. Um, we need to look and see, are these incisors, are they the appropriate numbers? Are they the right length for the age that we're thinking this horse is? Uh, we'll be examining for deciduous teeth versus permanent teeth in young horses. Have they um, erupted canines? If you're looking at the webinar, you can see that the top central picture has a canine tooth that is just beginning to erupt. Uh, and those can be pretty painful and, and people may, owners may have questions about them if they've noticed them. And it's good to be able to give, tell them uh, that it's, you've seen it, you know that it's normal, it's coming out. The horse may be a little bit fussy with its mouth if they're doing something in there. Uh, the top right image with an arrow pointing down, there's a soft tissue swelling there and it kind of looks like getting, something's getting ready to pop out of there. That's more likely a lower wolf tooth that's getting ready to erupt. They're uncommon, but they are possible. Uh, and if the people are putting a bit in a horse's mouth and it has a lower wolf tooth, it will definitely object. We'll show you some x-rays later of one that was uh, that recently visited. Uh, in the bottom right down here, bottom left screen, actually, we've got, uh, this is a very old horse teeth, old horse's teeth. You can see these in large juga. Uh, you'd be start wondering about horses with ETRH. Uh, 
uh, you want to be looking all along here for tartar on these older horses as they begin to accumulate dental disease, as Jack said earlier. So uh, it's important to take a, a good look and not just put this speculum on because sometimes the incisors are an afterthought for people and uh, the bars in the front of the horse's mouth. It's, it's quite impressive the amount of pathology that we can find when we, people talk about having bidding problems in their horses. Um, right at the front of the mouth, it's there. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's easy to see without a speculum. Uh, and uh, we've just got, if you're looking up here at this bottom right, you'll see that there's a wolf tooth actually hiding uh, and rather rostral and, and buckle to where you'd normally find one. So, um, if you were just putting your thumb back where you normally look right in front of the 06, you miss that this 05 wolf tooth is way, uh, way rostral here. So now that we've done that part, it's time to put a speculum on a horse. Uh, we've come a long way from just kind of standing on a bucket and peering into the horse's mouth. We can do better than that. Uh, this is an old picture, but a lot of these speculum designs really haven't changed significantly, just the materials going into them have. Um, we most commonly use a McPherson speculum. Uh, but there's a time and a place for a variety of speculums, and a LumaSpec is very good as well. Um, what you can see with this image, this horse has a parrot mouth uh, on, our, on our screen here. And so if you put a McPherson speculum into a horse with a parrot mouth, it's not going to fit very well. Uh, so you really need to make sure you've got uh, the right way to open a horse's mouth, and that may require using flat bars, uh, for young horses, some of these McPherson speculums have a ridge um, on the inside of the mouth that, that will hit the hard palate, and they get pretty reluctant after a while to have their mouth in the speculum. Same with older horses that have uh, uh, quite a bit of attrition of their incisors, and they've worn them out, and that ridge, so sometimes we take burrs, and we actually will file down that ridge on the back of the bite plate for McPherson, or sometimes they're just better off in, a, in an Alumaspec, which has a nice big, broad, flat um, flat plate and you can put a towel underneath that to keep them more comfortable. Uh, definitely one of the things people underestimate the amount of uh, discomfort a poorly fitting speculum can have for a horse and veterinarians can do a much better exam if they make sure that that, that speculum really fits the horse well and they'll have a really less fussy and require less sedation during the exam. Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program at Merck AnimalHealthUSA.com. Now that we've got the speculum on, uh, I think it's important to do an, a, an oral exam with your hand. So palpate for loose teeth, feel for fractures. Um, you'll begin to notice whether something's the teeth are in the right alignment. Whether you've got a large uh, transverse ridge, you can actually feel ulcers. Uh, quite easily because the mucosa along the mouth is not, is not nice and smooth, all of a sudden you'll feel a rough spot. Uh, you can feel for waves, you can feel for hooks. So uh, it's almost, it's, I think your, your hands palpating are more sensitive than a mirror to a certain degree. You'll notice things very, very uh, quickly. When you get your mirror in and do your mirror exam, you'll be able to see exactly 
uh, more specific note focus on the areas you need to look at. Another thing about oral palpation I think is important is that you do palpate all the edges of each tooth and you can feel diastema a lot of times because there will be forage uh, pressing out between the teeth right at the gingival margin. Also, when you remove your hand from the horse's mouth, you need to smell your glove. And I know it sounds kind of gross, but you, you really need to because if you've got any bad odor in that horse's mouth, you need to go back and look again and feel again because uh, that's an indication of some sort of pathology. Normally, there's not a bad odor coming from a horse's mouth. So that can be another very sensitive test for detecting pathology. You will find it and you will be surprised. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next part, we've got a speculum on the horse. We've palpated the horse's uh, teeth with our hands. Have a good light. You can't just use a pen light for these things. Um, there's a number of excellent, excellent LED halogen light sources that are out there. They're lightweight, they're waterproof or water resistant. Uh, you can light up a horse's mouth uh, as, as well as any basketball arena now. So uh, looking at some of these images on the webinar, you see this top left image uh, is a bit dated here. We've got, somebody's got a pen light looking in there. That is extremely difficult. You're, you'd be hard pressed to, to practice great medicine with, a, with just a pen light and do a complete uh, and thorough oral exam. Um, so getting a, a really good light, uh, whether it's mounted on the speculum or whether it's mounted on, the, on your head is, is, is definitely a key. You can see in the top right image how much brighter the, uh, the, the oral cavity is now, um, and you can see so much more. So having a good light is definitely a worthwhile investment, and it's a, it, it can be useful for anything from uh, illuminating the back of your vet box and trying to find things or uh, looking in the mouth or suturing up uh, a wound or something like that. There's more than more than just uses for a dental, more than just dental uses for a dental light. Um, and a tool that anybody can and easily get a hold of as well as dental mirrors. They come in a variety of sizes and shapes, and it's good to have a variety of sizes and shapes depending on where you're looking for lesions or where you found a, you, you've encountered a lesion or pathology. Um, bigger isn't always better. Sometimes smaller works just well. And, and using those mirrors on every single exam will, will greatly improve your skills uh, so that you run down and look at the buccal aspect, look at the occlusal surface of the teeth, and look at the lingual or the paddle aspects of, of each tooth um, as you go down looking at the cheek teeth. Um, you can use your mirror to look at the uh, back of the incisors as well, so don't forget about that area. Um, it's it's an extremely useful, cost-effective tool for uh, making great diagnosis. You can use with your dental mirror, you can use a digital camera, um, a cell phone, and you can actually take quite good images, assuming you've got a good light source in there. Uh, you don't have to own a fancy dental oral scope. You can actually just take great images, but it does sometimes take two or three people, somebody to hold the mirror, somebody to hold the camera, somebody to hold the horse um, to get it done, but it is definitely doable. Next up on the list for the exam is now that we've sort of taken a look at everything, it's probably time to probe something because like we've said earlier, there's a high likelihood there is dental disease of some degree in a horse. Uh, it's just a matter of finding it. So with these probes, we can see this nice long probe we've got on the, the top and the left. We can use that to slide along the, uh, along the uh, between the teeth and the gingiva to probe for pockets. Um, most of the time we don't, 
probe every single tooth every single time. We should, but most of the time, to be honest, we don't. Uh, but you can certainly look for areas where there's any sort of uh, gingival hypoplasion or erosion. Um, anywhere that feed has been packed is definitely needs to be probed uh, with, with that nice line. And you can take measurements of it and understand how deep it is and begin to get an idea of the amount of periodontal disease or the severity of it. Now, what you also see is a pick that sort of looks like a shepherd's hook. That is excellent for uh, getting into pulp horns and wondering, are they going to scrape over and you're not going to, they're nice and smooth and glassy, or do they stick and indicate that there's an open pulp horn because there's getting to be feed packed in there? Um, with those tool tools, they make nice long uh, 15, 17 inch long handles. You can probe everything using a mirror and a good light. Um, you, can, you can find out where your problems are in a horse's mouth. So here's, here's uh, some pictures of probing technique. Uh, you know, you don't want to drag the probe around and use it to sweep around the whole tooth. You want to place it uh, along the tooth in a specific location uh, so that you're not inadvertently tearing away or breaking down the periodontal ligament or anything like that. You don't want to push um, tartar and things like that down into the, into the gingiva. Uh, we touched on earlier a digital camera. This can be your cell phone. Um, if anybody knows Jack's Tech Kathy, she's got more photos of horse teeth and mouths on her camera, on her phone, than she has of her kids. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's a very, very useful tool. You can use flash if you need to. Um, this doesn't even, you can show angles with your mirrors, and that's why it's good to have a variety of mirrors um, so that you can uh, see things. And it's, a, it's an excellent way to, uh, allows you to, if you're doing an extraction or something like that, you can look down into your sockets. If you're just trying to diagnose, um, you can see the severity of the disease, how far it goes down. And you can, you know, save them for your records, which is important. Send them to clients. It really helps improve client understanding um, and education about their horse's oral health. So. Uh, images go a very, very, very long way into the mystery of the horse's oral cavity for owners. And, a, and literally a picture is worth a thousand words. And as far as owners are concerned, if they can see an image of the pathology, that's much more meaningful to them than a drawing on a piece of paper or you verbally explaining to them what the problem is. If you can take a picture and send them an image of the problem, then they better, they immediately better understand it. And I think that it's critical that we uh, get more pictures uh, and share those with owners and with referring veterinarians. Um, we, as a referral practice, have a, have a number of ways of doing intraoral endoscopy. Um, it's it's uh, been an excellent tool. It's very, very useful. It's probably not practical for most um, most veterinarians to be able to do, but there's a variety of ways um, you can do it. There are systems that are out there. Uh, we find it extremely helpful, but we also wouldn't say that it's it's necessary for everybody. It does require a, a team. Uh, you know, you, you really need to have somebody that can help. Uh, you need you need somebody very good holding the horse. You need excellent sedation. Um, so it definitely takes a group of people to, to be able to do it very well. Um, we've got a video here of some intraoral endoscopy. Uh, this is going down the 100 arcade in a horse. So you're seeing the 106, 107. We're looking no diastomas, 108. 
oops, and we've come across a problem here on our 109 tooth. It looks like the buccal aspect of the tooth has had a slab fracture. And then we're gonna look at our 110 and then our 111. And if you look closely, you can see there's a bit of forge between the 110 and the 111 on this, uh, on this exam. So uh, using intraoral endoscopy is, is extremely useful for us uh, for the amount of surgeries that we do. Uh, X-rays are, are also critical. You can see on the uh, this top tooth, this was a horse. The top left shows a mirrored picture of a, of a very sort of dysplastic looking tooth. Um, this horse had been referred to us because it, they thought it had a broken tooth. Well, uh, radiology, we took some x-rays and showed that, that actually it had a dysplastic tooth um, that was in there instead and had a large odontoma with um, just a, a giant dental mass uh, essentially uh, above it. So that was important. Um, bottom left, which you see is another bump um, on just in front of the 306, just, a, just another one of those little bar bumps there. No big deal here. Just the horse is kind of fussing into the bit, um, twisted the owner's arm a little bit, shot an x-ray, and ta-da, there's a nice wolf tooth sitting right there, which is uh, probably a good reason why this horse was quite difficult um, to have for bidding. So um, we've got that removed and hopefully that horse is doing much better. When taking radiographs, it is very, very important to uh, take, them, take them open mouth there's, and, and try to get the right views. And, and there's specialty training courses that can be taken to help practitioners do that. Um, oral radio, skull radiographs are not the easiest things to do. They're not as commonly done um, for most people, but um, it, there are definitely some, some guides and things to help people out there so that you can take um, uh, better radiographs. Uh, they're not, radiographs aren't always the most diagnostic because you get super imposition of hard tissues. So sometimes that's, that's just saying the extra oral. Sometimes we have to take intraoral radiographs as well, uh, but they do help. Uh, they, they can improve our diagnostic quality. So if you're shooting, um, for example, incisors, you know, you can have the horse properly sedated and place your plate in the horse's mouth and shoot a series of images. And that way you don't get overlap of the upper and lower incisors. Um, when we do cheek teeth, obviously, um, extra oral are significantly easier, but we do have a, a small dental plate that you can place into the horse's mouth and do uh, intraoral uh, radiographs of cheek teeth as well. Uh, but um, it does take a bit of practice to, to, to take proper dental radiographs and understand the, the, type, the techniques to, to get really good images. And there, if you go back in the AAP uh, archives, uh, there have been several really good uh, programs with good images. And uh, I know that uh, Bob Barrett and uh, Molly Rice and uh, several other people have presented uh, papers on proper technique for both uh, taking uh, good dental radiographs as well as in interpreting radiographs. And it's, it would be beneficial to review those. Because um, dental graphs, radiographs can show you so much more, uh, you know, the condition of the periodontium, the extent of disease, you know, not just even about, you know, whether you've got a fractured tooth um, or your alignment's out. Uh, you can interpret quite a bit depending on how you, um, utilize the technique. So they're, uh, they're pretty skilled. You know, one of the things that we see a lot of is, is periodontal disease. So um, 
and it's important to understand that radiography underestimates the extent of a hard tissue lesion because it takes 40% demineralization just to get a lucency. So you've gone uh, pretty far down through dental disease just to begin to see some lucency on radiograph. So it's best if you can begin to see uh, diagnose periodontal disease um, through an oral exam necessarily than through a, um, radiograph exams. And the other thing that you need to keep in mind that is radiographs are uh, not very sensitive, but they're very specific. So they, uh, they're good at figuring out which tooth is involved, but you do have to have a pretty significant dental disease before it shows up on a radiograph. And I think that's one reason why now we've talked about uh, going to 3D imaging. And I think that's one reason that we've decided to do that is with computed tomography and uh, uh, MRI, uh, they're much more sensitive because we can take small slices uh, of the horse's head and uh, manipulate the images to where we can get different uh, uh, different angles and uh, and really see a 3D picture of the horse's head and the individual teeth. We can also see the internal structures of the teeth in much more detail. So uh, in uh, the image that we're looking at here is a sagittal uh, section of a, an upper uh, 09 on a horse, and you can see we've got fluid in uh, the sinus compartment on the right. Uh, we've got air, normal sinus compartment on the left. But even then, uh, with uh, this tooth on the left, you can see that uh, there are some lucencies within the crown of the tooth. And those, uh, if they're soft tissue lucencies, those are normal and they indicate where the pulp horns are and where the uh, incompletely filled infundibula is. But when we start seeing gas in the pulp horns of a tooth, that's an indication of an infected tooth. And you'll see that before you start seeing a bony change in a lot of diseased teeth. Uh, we'll also use MRI occasionally. Uh, it's not very uh, good for uh, looking at the hard structures uh, in the horse's head because it's depending up, it's dependent upon water volume in the tissues uh, to get a good image. But it's really great for soft tissue images, uh, tumors and masses in the horse's head, but not so good for uh, looking at uh, the internal structures, hard structures of the tooth. Uh, it is interesting that with MRI, it really does show pulp horns better than even CT does. And if you look at this image, this is a cross section through a, an upper 07. And you can see that on the right side uh, is a mass in the, in the nasal passage. There's also a deformed uh, mass at the top of this tooth, but if you look at the left where the normal tooth is, you can see the outline of the pulps uh, in these, uh, the pulp chambers uh, of this tooth as being uh, soft tissue, which is a, a normal pulp uh, in this particular tooth. So uh, different imaging techniques will uh, emphasize different tissues. 
Uh, it's more common that we use a CT to diagnose dental disease than an MRI, but both of these uh, 3D imaging modalities are beneficial. And so the, the final and, you know, probably one of the most important things is the charting of the oral findings. There's a gazillion dental charts available out there. The AVDC uh, has them on its website. Uh, one of the things that's it's important is to have a, a good dental chart and to be able to use it uh, appropriately. You know, draw what you see and, and what you can find on your exams. Uh, even if you're not labeling it correctly necessarily or something, you don't know exactly how to call it, um, you know, draw it and describe it. So um, we really like these sort of exploded ones where you can you know, see the teeth, the, the occlusal surface, and you can see the, um, you know, the side of the tooth and be able to draw, understand whether there's an elongation or a pulp horn that's affected or where draw where you've got fissure fractures and things like that. Um, because as you do serial exams on these horses, it's, uh, it really allows you to understand how something is progressing uh, and give you a better clinical feel as you see more and more cases in the field for um, where is this case likely to go and what can be done to appropriately treat it uh, so that it doesn't become a, a major problem. Uh, so, you know, most of the time they've got, uh, you know, they'll give you spots for writing your problem list for a therapeutic plan, um, describe what you did. Um, and these are these are all well and good. We really like them. Uh, the next dental chart where, you know, what some folks do is in putting in the, the images, as we've said earlier, these uh, pictures worth a thousand words. So there's at least 4,000 words here. Um, and it'll really help explain to owners and, and feel like they've got value because they've seen the, uh, they've understood a diagnosis a bit better and they've seen the, the type of work that you've done to um, mitigate or treat a disease. Um, just want to talk a little bit about periodontal disease because it is uh, pretty much the most common thing that we, the diagnosis that we come across. Um, it can affect any tooth, but it, it, because dental disease typically accumulates with age, uh, we find it most severe in the cheek teeth of older animals. And it's associated with diastomata, which are those gaps um, that we get. So um, you, um, we can see it very, very severely and uh, as they get older, and, and you don't see these necessarily, it can be quite severe in the animals. Um, they're not losing weight, but what they're eventually beginning to see is you might, they might be diagnosed, uh, they might be quitting or something like that, and then you find uh, that it's progressed. All, what, what started off as a small problem is essentially uh, finally rolled into a, a rather large problem in a tooth that needs to be extracted or a sinus infection or something like that. Um, you know, it starts off with a malocclusion where teeth are not um, not wearing evenly against each other. Um, so we get these diastemas. These diastemas, these gaps, are now a great spot to pack feed. Um, horses that are in uh, stabled or are getting hay and grains, you know, it's a little bit harder for them to clear uh, clear these diastemas with their as they normally chew around. Horses that are out on grass 24-7 on, on a good grass pasture, um, they may get a little bit luckier because the grass is softer and they can clear it out a little bit easier. Um, because what happens is the feed gets impacted into these gaps. It begins to irritate the, the gingiva, uh, which gets sort of a, an inflammatory response. And as that feed gets uh, trapped in there and it's sort of the tissues swell up around and everything, 
um, you could get bacterial proliferation. Uh, you begin to get things like peripheral caries. Uh, you get uh, the disease, the, the periodontal ligament begins to sort of break down and you find that teeth begin to get looser and looser because they're just not secured in the mouth like they used to be. Um, so you've seen old horses where you kind of reach in and pull a tooth out. Um, well, it's probably, it's had a diastem in there and it's, uh, it's, it's gotten some pretty good periodontal disease. Uh, and we can try to do our best to prevent those um, as, they, as they age and keep them clean. And, um, you know, it's to, sort of how to treat those is a different, different uh, talk, but understanding that getting diagnosing them early is uh, much, much easier and treating them early uh, improves the quality of life uh, and, and the quality of the mouth, oral health longer is a, is a good point to take home. So with that, we've concluded our talk here and we'll open it up if uh, Kim's got any questions. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it, Dr. Easley and Dr. Rainbow. Um, I do have a couple of questions. I want to go way back to when you were talking about speculums and speculum fit. I know a lot of people have miniatures and how should a veterinarian handle those? Because I've seen some vets go from doing the, the quarter horse or the thoroughbred and throw the same speculum on a miniature and it, it's not a great fit. So what is your, well, <laughs> you're laughing. There, they do make, there are several companies that make pony speculums that are just a downsized mouth speculum. But in reality, uh, even large speculums uh, will fit miniature horses, uh, but it does take some adjusting. You have to make sure that uh, uh, you have lots of holes uh, poked in the pole strap so that you can get it tightened up on the mouth properly. Uh, the incisor plates, they make different size incisor plates. Uh, and so uh, we usually don't have much trouble with taking a large speculum and putting it on a small horse. It, uh, but it does take uh, maybe one more person to sort of steady things in the mouth. Uh, but the pony speculums are, uh, that they're designed to do that. But uh, we don't always have a pony speculum with us when we go out to do a, a small horse or a, a mini. So we end up using a large speculum on them, but you can get everything done. The mouth of a small horse is a little more uh, restrictive uh, than it is in a larger horse because all of our equipment is made for medium sized horses, sort of a thoroughbred size horse. Uh, and so, the speculums, the dental floats, the uh, all the new power equipment uh, that we use to do uh, monoplasty with, all of that equipment's designed for basically a thousand pound horse. So when you start using it in miniature horses, mouths, it can be a little oversized. And so they do make smaller equipment, but people that kind of specialize or do a lot of miniature horses do get smaller equipment to work on them with and it does work better, but you can work around that. And you also mentioned, <clears throat> I love the picture and educating um, your owner, excuse me, <clears throat> but you also talk about, and I know you do a lot of referral work, both of you. So when you have a referring veterinarian who gets into a horse's mouth 
at what point would you recommend they maybe call in someone who has different equipment, different tools, different experience or more experience to be able to help out with some of these dental problems? Well, I think that it's important uh, with all of us in practice. I mean, we're both our general practitioner veterinarians as well as people that do a lot of dentistry. And uh, when I get a, a lameness case or a, a medicine case that I don't understand, I try to get some help. And I'd start out with a, a phone call or an email to somebody to ask them some questions. Uh, and uh, so I think once you get to the point with a case where you're not comfortable, you know something's wrong, but you don't really understand what it could be, and you've sort of reached the limits of your diagnostic capability, then it's time to get some help. The phone call's free. The surgical complications are not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good point, Dr. Rainbow. And I guess um, I want to kind of step back because both of you have emphasized that it takes a team to do a really good dental. Um, so what, what are you looking for for those people who are either new veterinarians and need some assistance or those who are techs or assistants? What are the things, skills that they need to learn or have in order to be able to help you do a better job on a dental? Well, we both do work, uh, both having a technician with us, but occasionally we get out on a call without. And so uh, it just depends on uh, what type of work you're trying to do. It is important. You always have to have someone to help you with handling the horse. And so if you're going to a farm that has really good help, really good uh you know, uh, restraint equipment, uh, a set of stocks or good stalls that you can uh, work horses in, they've got good horse handlers on the farm, then you can usually get by with, with that. But if you're going out to places that don't have a lot of help, for someone to try to do dentistry totally by themselves, uh, you're really not doing a good job. Uh, <laughs> It's very, very difficult to take photos of a horse in a uh, in a backyard when you've sedated and you're holding it yourself and the owners have left. <laughs> I can tell you that's that's very, very difficult. Uh, and and uh, it's it's good to have at least one really good horse uh, person working with you. Is um, I I generally don't work by myself at all. I've always have at least one very good horse person that understands that horse there. So you do need an assistant. And even on a lot of calls that I go on, I'll take someone to help me handle the horse as well as a technician. And you're just much more efficient because they can help you set up equipment. They can help you with uh, your assistant, can help you recording dental findings. So you can basically dictate the oral exam as you're doing it. And they're writing the record. So you're records are much more accurate that way, uh, as well as they're there to uh, hand you equipment and unload the car and load the car. And they can spend time while you're actually doing the work. They can also spend time talking to the owner and getting a better history, doing some uh, client education with how to feed the horse and talk about bits and bridle fit and uh, you know, all these other questions that 
if you're busy doing the work, you don't always have time to answer. So having good, competent help that understands uh, what you're trying to do and understands some things about nutrition counseling and bits and bidding, and uh, they can also figure up your bills and get the check <laughs> while you're there. Uh, and uh, so it, it pays for itself, definitely, having a good assistant with you when you're doing this work. And for a young veterinarian or a veterinarian that's that's uh, in the first maybe five years of practice who has an interest in dentistry, where are some places that they can do, go learn more or how do you recommend that they get better educated? Well, I think that uh, webinars like this are really helpful and there's uh, a lot of the dental groups around the around the world really with the internet now uh, there's a group in Australia that has a whole uh, education series on dentistry. Uh, AEP has a library full of uh, dentistry stuff. So does uh, Beva. The uh, so I think that that's a place to start. Uh, and then there are short courses that uh, some of the dental equipment companies offer. I know CSU has some short courses. Uh, there's programs at the AAP, uh, the, the Dental Forum, uh, which is the American uh, Veterinary Dental College, usually has a, a one or two day uh, program at their annual meeting. Uh, so I think uh, just continuing education uh, and being on the internet and looking at uh, different webinars and uh, a lot of these virtual meetings that we've had over the last two years since COVID, uh, a lot of those are archived to where you can pay a fee and get in and review the uh, proceedings and uh, the conferences that were given virtual uh, during that period of time. And Dr. Rainbow, you basically been in general practice and you kind of got a passion for dentistry and you've you've come to work with Dr. Easley who's world renowned in solving this. What are some of the things that you would advise a young veterinarian or one who's uh, looking to change maybe and do a little more? Well, I, I can say that having started off, uh, I would say I practiced, you know, you know, five years ago, six years ago when I first got out of school, I was definitely, I guess that was nine years ago now, not practicing the best dentistry. I was practicing kind of what I knew, but I knew that the mentors ahead of me didn't really keep the standard that high that I'd sort of learned from. Um, I was fortunate that actually Jackson, uh, Jeremiah who was, a surgery res uh, was a surgery resident at University of Florida, uh, introduced our class uh, somewhat reluctantly to the finer arts of dentistry. <laughs> Uh, I think he would preferred surgery versus dentistry, <laughs> but uh, and so I began to kind of know that there was out there, and I wasn't really happy with what I was sort of learning necessarily. And when I was in Katy, Texas, um, a, a good dental provider down there began to show me quite a bit more about you know the different tools, what they could be used for, uh, and opened my eyes a little bit. And um, when I came back up to Versailles. Um, I asked Jack, I said, do you mind if I ride with you for a few days here and there? Would that be possible? Um, and it, it, it greatly improved. And, and probably one of the best things I did was a short course. Um, and that short course 
solidified in me what I knew and what I did not know. Um, and so I, I, I made sure not to, to bite off more than I could chew when working on cases. And you kind of understand then this might be a time where I just need to stop before I've done any damage and call somebody who definitely knows more like Jack. <laughs> so um, that was that was really important for me for the first uh, the first year or so of, of practice on my own. And um, I was very fortunate to be able to do a residency with Jack. Well, we feel very fortunate that you all uh, shared some of your knowledge with us today, and we appreciate you doing not only the podcast, but the webinar. And we want to remind folks listening to the podcast that you can go to equimanagement.com and you will see a video of the webinar that goes along with this podcast. So we want to thank you both, Dr. Eastley and Dr. Rainbow, for joining us on this episode of Disease Du Jour to talk about equine dentistry. And to our audience, thank you for listening. And a special thanks to our 2021 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to listen, rate episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send me an email to kbrown at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.